You're listening to the Enneagram and Marriage Podcast. I'm your host, Krista Harden, and today we're talking about radical generosity in marriage with authors Nate and Kaylee Klemp. I'm so thankful to have the Klemps on today because they're truly gifted with bringing things to us in a logical, straightforward way that will be bringing changes to your marriage. So I'm super happy we are getting to hear from them on today's show, as well as to talk about their new book, The 8080 Marriage. I think you're going to find that they are just every bit as passionate about helping couples as I am. And that is just an absolute thrill for me to meet with people doing huge things in the world. And in addition to this amazing book that's already been favorited by Booklist and New York Times, Nate is also previously a New York Times bestseller. Kaylee is out across the world doing coaching, including Enneagram coaching with businesses and couples. And they are a family with their daughter and just out there sharing everywhere. So I'm super, super happy they could be with us this week. And they were even on Good Morning America last week. So they are making their rounds and we are so grateful to have them because I'll tell you why you are going to learn so much for your marriage. And that is key. Whether you're not married, yet or you're already through the honeymoon period, I promise you today's show has a ton for you. And briefly before we get to that, I always like to give an update on what's going on in the community here at Enneagram and Marriage or with family. And as you know, our community is growing with our helpers finishing up their course, but I have a new round of helpers starting August 26th. So use the code back to school to get a discount off of the next Enneagram and Marriage certification course. We go so deep into everything related to talking about the couple's dynamics with Enneagram and Marriage. And this past week's course, we went so deep into tri-type. And you can always go back to our tri-type episode to get the very basic level. But it's so fun when you're working with helpers to say, let's go even that much deeper. And let's talk about the ways we can help these 27 different varieties of even couples learning to explore their head, heart, and body centers and how you can work with this as dyads. So it's fascinating. And I've had a total blast even more than I thought I would. I hope you'll join us for the next round. Visit EnneagramAndMarriage.com if you're interested in that. And I also want to let you know, as a family, we have recently trekked up to Nashville and the whole Enneagram country up in Franklin, Tennessee. That was a perfect meeting point for meeting with my brother and his kids. And after Colorado and Michigan and now Tennessee and Georgia, I can say I am ready for rest. And I think that takes a lot sometimes to get a seven to that space, but we're finishing up summer camps. We're trying to stay healthy. And I ask that all of you continue to be doing your best and most diligent to stay strong and healthy across COVID going through our country again. I know we've seen it in our family. Our My husband has had patients that have been back in the hospital with it. And so just continue to be mindful that there's a lot of people who are not vaccinated and they need you to be mindful if you are not sure if you're sick and you think it might be allergies or might not, because I think the whole country got burned with that over 4th of July. So be careful. And if you're not sure how you're feeling, stay inside for your date nights and reschedule the family picnics and the concerts and whatever else you need to reschedule so that you can really take care of yourselves. You are a priority. And I have been talking all about the opposite instincts lately. And where's your shadow work? Where's your blind spot? But today, I'm going to just say to everybody, even though we know self-preserving dominant people are a bit of the majority, at least it seems so, we can say to everybody, be aware of that and then be aware of that social call we have to take care of each other. And now we're going to get a chance to hear from Nate and Kaylee about how to take care of each other in marriage specifically. And I can't wait for you to hear from them as a one-nine couple first, but then especially as they walk us through the 80-80 marriage. Hey guys, I am so happy to have you on the Enneagram and Marriage podcast. Thanks so much for coming on today. We are so happy to be here. Yeah, it's so great to be here, Krista. Thanks. I know it's just a delight for everybody listening to hear from a one-nine couple. That is literally the most common pairing. Did you guys know that? I didn't know that. I didn't know that either. That's interesting. Yeah, I know that a lot of people would say it's really hard to type and to say which one is the most common pairing for sure. But the little bit of data we can gather even from people who take Enneagram tests, that seems to be it. Tell me a little bit about how you guys met. Yeah, well, we met in high school, if you can believe it. So we're 42 now, but we met when we were 17. We both grew up in Boulder, which is where we live now. 
and we met at Boulder High School in our chemistry class. We're at the same lab table. And then it was interesting because we started dating. We actually went to senior prom together. And then we were about to go to the same college and we decided to pragmatically break up like right before we went to college. So then we were separated for seven years. I mean, we still were friends and we saw each other around campus. Mm -hmm. And then when I was living in New Jersey and Kaylee was living in San Francisco, maximum possible distance, seven years later, we decided we should get back together. And that's when we got married and it all happened. So that's kind of how we met. Yeah. That is literally so pragmatic. I love that you guys planned it out and that you were able to commit to that because that is something I have heard a lot of people say, even on this podcast, that they have been able to do the long distance relationship. But what a unique piece that you guys were able to say, we could break up, but then both of us being logical types could find a way back to one another with minimal damage. Of course, there's always going to be little things you have to work out, but that's pretty cool. I'm not sure I would give us full credit for planning that far in advance. I think we were a little bit more dreamy in the, if it's true love, it'll come back to be. And then it was. (laughs) That's the really cool, crazy thing. Cause I know we all like to put on our science hats. And when you hear that, you're like, there's something mystical here after all. (laughs) That's, That's really cool. And what do you think really attracted you guys to each other toward the beginning? I know it's all of us are now pretty much the same age and we met in high school too. So I know you've shifted and grown, um, but tell me about what you liked about each other back in chemistry class. I think for, I'll, I'll speak for myself. For me, it was that Nate was always someone who I could go deep with, mm. that there was a quality of listening and a quality of inquiry and a quality mm. of curiosity about himself and the world mm-hmm. that was incredibly attractive. And I think that both of us being in some ways on various versions of a spiritual quest mm-hmm. is something that has persisted over time and with different orientations and different pursuits and different ebbs and flows along the way. But that's it for me. Yeah. I I would say something similar that there was just always like a depth of conversation and understanding. And I remember dating just about anyone else. That was my big thing. I'm like, I I just feel like there's so much more there that we're not even scratching the surface of. And that's what I had with Kaylee. And so thank God it came back Yes, after seven years. Oh, I love that. Now I am married to a one. And I remember that feeling of meeting somebody in those young years and being super impressed with the level of depth and care. And I can imagine you got that from a nine as well. So Mm -hmm. that's really beautiful. And it seems like something worth hanging on to. So I'm glad you guys at least made that idealistic try. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Oh, that's just awesome. So tell me a little bit about what you guys found in the glow guide that was really helpful for you or something that fit, or maybe something you even worked through before. Well, so I think it's interesting to start back at the beginning of our Enneagram journey, because I don't know that we told you this, Krista, that when we were first married, we really struggled that our first couple years of marriage were really hard. And in some ways that's part of our 8080 story, but it's actually part of our Enneagram story that when we were at our most distant, at our most contentious, it was actually my mom's idea. She Mm -hmm. said, maybe you should go to the Enneagram Institute, which is where she and my dad had recently studied with Russ Hudson and that Mm -hmm. time Don Riso. And I had the absolute privilege after that to be certified by the Enneagram Institute. I studied in depth with Russ and Don, my absolute mentors and gifts in my life. But I think the Enneagram initially Mm -hmm. gave us a way to put words to what was happening inside. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I love about the Enneagram overall is that Occasionally, there are things that are surprising, but mostly when I'm talking with people about their types, they'll say, oh my goodness, that is so me. I just didn't have language for it. And I couldn't translate my inner experience, certainly to a person who I love. And so I think being able to articulate, hey, what feels to you like rigidity is really just me trying so hard to make things right and good in the world from my one place mm-hmm. and being able to experience him through that, that lens as well, through understanding. 
Do you want to say yeah, that well, yourself? I would say for me, you know, going back to, to your guide and actually something you mentioned at, at the beginning of the conversation, Krista, there was this way in which when we first got married, Kaylee's sort of structure and boundless energy mm-hmm. and my lack of energy or need for more rest or need to just like have a little more space, that was a problem. And we fought a lot about it. And from Kaylee's perspective, it was like, dude, why are you just like, why do you need to rest all the time? I don't understand. <laughs> and from my perspective, it was like, why do we have to work all the time? Like, why can't we just take it easy? Mm-hmm. And so that was a huge problem. Yeah. And the moment we began to see like, wait a minute, maybe this is actually a gift. Mm-hmm. And, and really see, like, I could start to see that Kaylee pushes me to do things that I probably wouldn't ordinarily do and to really explore my edge, which is, you know, it's scary for me. And I push her to slow down and like smell the flowers and take a break, maybe even try to watch a movie from start to finish once or once in a while. But, but that, that ended up becoming such a gift and it was really the same pattern, just seeing it differently. Mm, Yeah, I love that. And I got a little bit of a chance to read about some of your story when I was at Kaylee's website and just really identified with something beautiful that you said, because I know you do a lot of Enneagram coaching and your wonderful book and this beautiful history you have. But what I really think couples listening and even I identified with is how you said the Enneagram was a huge piece in saving your marriage. Yes. Yes. And that was really that experience where early, we were really fighting about these differences Mm -hmm. and that they were in some ways driving us further apart Mm -hmm. and studying the Enneagram and being able to translate those into gifts that we offered each other and being able to speak to the higher version of one another rather than getting caught in the trances of our personality types. Mm -hmm. We could recognize that they were coping strategies. They were our egos doing their best to navigate the world. But when we could actually remember who the other person really was Mm -hmm. and have language to call forth that best part of them, that really, it did. I I would credit the Eddie Ramble saving our marriage. Mm, That's just beautiful. And I hope that those listening whose spouse is not on board yet uh, Mm. will continue to be gently encouraging. And even as we talk about the 80-80 marriage, we're going to get into some of the details as to how we can do that, I hope, because that's huge. And I love that you found it, that your mom introduced you. And then I love also what Nate said about just being able to see that these differences would potentially cause you to suffer more. And I read that in your book as well. Uh, but that what's beautiful that can come from that is how can you bless the world more? How can you give more? How can your outreach be greater? And I just think that's the most noble of the instincts is the social instinct in a way, right? So we, we do want to feel great together and we want to have fun and bless our children. We want to have great self-care, but I really love that you guys are trying to do the social outreach. That's actually my weakest point. (laughs) So it's very odd that I have a podcast, but it's because I can do it as an introvert. (laughs) I can research about you guys behind the scenes. But what I love is that you're taking this out there big. And I do really want to add quickly to our audience that those nines listening, you really do have some of the biggest energy of all the types when it's unleashed. Would you guys agree with that? I would completely agree with that. Yeah, I think that that has been a big part of my path is realizing that I have access to that. Yes. And, you know, in, in many periods of my life, I have sort of gotten in my own way and been afraid of what would happen if I really got out there mm-hmm. and, you know, really almost like hid out from going big in my projects and in my thinking. Yeah. And so in some ways, you know, writing a book like this has been really fun because it's been a massive challenge for me, you know, we, uh, on the day before our launch, we were on Good Morning America. Uh, that was for an Enneagram nine. <laughs> that was like taking a rocket to the moon or something. right? Like, <laughs> and it went fine and it was great. But I mean, it really, I, I like finding projects like this mm. that are big and outrageous and that just inevitably push me beyond my comfort zone because 
Good. It just feels like I'm growing. And if I'm not doing that, then what am I doing? I'm sort of just building a little cocoon to hide out from the world. Mm-hmm. In. Yes. And uh, my first couple was a three, nine that I ever saw. And we, we brought in the analogy of the turtle shell and I yes. like the cocoon also. I haven't heard that one. And it's really cool to go in there. I always say 30 minutes to two hours a day, max, uh, yeah. but, but to come out when you're actually refreshed and you start to learn what you really do need for self-care, mm-hmm. that's amazing. So, and I'm sure Kaylee, you can tell me if I'm wrong here, but I'm sure over time, as he was uh, kind of just inferencing earlier, you've been able to even learn a bit about going in and getting that reuptake. Is that true? Absolutely true. I think Building on what Nate was saying, there's something for me that's so attractive and amazing about seeing a nine on purpose. Mm -hmm. So for anyone listening, one or other type who is married to or partnered with a nine, giving them that space so that they can feel the draw, the pull, the what I really want. Mm -hmm. That's where I've seen Nate's energy completely unleashed is when it's on purpose and simultaneously both when he's grounded, there's something contagious in a really good way about Nate's groundedness Mm -hmm. that I'll be frustrated or resentful or fired up about whatever it is, sort of, you know, stuck in my things aren't the way they're supposed to be. (laughs) And He's able just to hold perspective Mm. and that invites me into more spaciousness, which Mm. doesn't necessarily look for me like a yoga nidra nap, but it does look like more space around my heart and more space in my life. Oh, that's amazing. And allows you to be in your seven playful space. And I love how you're saying we just did an episode on the harmony triads last week. So his being in that earth triad and you in that heaven triad of the idealist, you can really say he grounds you and he gives you permission to be you, but you're not going to look just like a nine Um, and you have a nine wing as well as a two wing, but it's not always going to look the same. So I like that too, in marriage that as much as we're becoming one, we're also getting to know ourselves and our individual gifts. So I'm I'm so glad. And I love that you have learned from him too. And you're just allowing each other. One other um, quick point I want to make about the nine. And I wonder if you agree with me, Kaylee, is that I thought it was so beautiful when this eight, nine couple came on and she said, everyone says like, try to draw your nine out, try to give them three options. We know that's great. But when she said, I actually try to do that sacred pause and really let my nine come up with his own ideas that was really beautiful for me to hear. Have you guys ever walked through that? Yeah. And I think to sort of building on what the eight was saying, if you ask me, Kaylee, what do you want? I typically know right away Mm -hmm. and maybe not with the same level of conviction that an eight might say it. I can say it with intensity or with force that may not even match my inner experience Mm -hmm. and allowing Nate to either answer first or having, I love the sacred pause where, Hey, what do you want? He goes, it's not really that important to me. Mm -hmm. And to go, well, if it were, Mm -hmm. then what? And allowing just a second bite at the apple rather than him saying, Oh, whatever you want, that would be fine. I like that. The second bite of the apple. That's really Mm -hmm. good. Yeah. And I think that that's one of the things that I would say has changed in our relationship. I think at the beginning, there was a lot of me not asking for what I've wanted. As we've grown together, I feel much more comfortable Mm -hmm. with that and with entering into conflict, you know, talking about conflict and difficult Mm -hmm. conversations. Mm -hmm. Gosh, I remember early on, I just didn't want to do that. And so there were a lot of things that were unsaid. So, So that's been my training and our training in particular is like learning how to reveal my full truth, whether that's what I want or, hey, that thing you said to me yesterday, it landed just with, it upset me and it hurt my feet or whatever it is, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, being able to reveal has been a big journey for me. And I actually think I'm a little bit ahead of myself with stepping into an 8080 tool, but having a vocabulary that we share around how to engage in those more difficult conversations has really allowed an on-ramp to conflict that can feel so scary if you're just in that place of nine. But being able to signal to me using a tool that we call reveal and request in the book is that it builds that spirit of generosity in the relationship Mm -hmm. that when Nate says, 
hey, I have something I want to reveal to you. I can intentionally shift into my most curious, most present listening space and hear what's there and hear the request. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean that every single request immediately gets completed, but it does at least it signals. So I think, and correct me if I'm wrong here, it creates an on-ramp for you. It creates a lot more spaciousness for me mm-hmm. so that when we're in that conversation, it's really productive and it doesn't feel as frustrating for me or as anxiety provoking for you. It makes it a lot more friendly. Oh, I love hearing that. In fact, I was just talking to somebody this morning and I thought of your book because the person said, I am just having the courage to bring this issue up. And I thought of your comment there because it's really important that people know they're worth it to do that. And going back to the nine, that's something we want every nine to know. And I think that what I love about your relationship, maybe best as we wrap up the one nine glow is that you guys are truly able to be together in that instinctual triad and to understand the anger and the frustration very, very well. So I think you get it. And that's probably a beautiful thing for him because I know my nine is raised under me, an anxiety triad person. And so there's not always that instinctual understanding. There's a, shh, can you be a little softer because my nerves are shot. And so of course, learning the Enneagram, I'm like, no, your nerves aren't really shot. You know, you just, you could handle her. She's amazing. Let her be loud, but you guys don't have that. So when I see my one spouse in my 19, um, go at it. I love it because I'm like, this is so beautiful. She can handle the one more than any of the rest of us. The rest of us are sweet and kind. And we try to do our own dances, but the one nine is hilarious. So I just can imagine your, your banter. Is it pretty funny? <laughs> yeah, I would say it, it's funny. And you know, it, really, it has a wide range to it. So. <laughs> yes. As we're closing this this discussion of the glow thing, I just wanted to say, Krista, thank you for putting together those guides. Mm -hmm. I mean, it is unbelievable that you have somehow created a guide for every possible permutation of Enneagram types. It really, I didn't know it was out there and it's a really huge contribution. So thank you for all that work. I can't imagine how much work went into that. Oh, well, you guys know I'm a systems thinker and my background is yeah. in systems in grad school. So it was such a nice integrative fit with me. And Very cool. I appreciate that. And I tried to be unique with the people I know versus yeah. not looking out to see what everybody else was saying, but so, so happy that I continue to hear the details matter. So let's talk about the 8080 marriage here, guys. This book is phenomenal. And for our listeners, as you're getting to be acquainted with it, guys, I want you to know that while I was happy to do all these last 90 something podcasts, we may have just been able to read this book. You guys consolidate very well. Love languages, Gottman, your own tools. Tell us about how this book was born. Yeah, well... I would say that this book really came out of our own struggle to make our marriage work. As Kaylee mentioned earlier, we got married after that fairy tale story that I gave you, Instagram worthy, you know, meeting (laughs) in high school, whatever. It it got very real after a year or so. And we actually got very close to losing it all and getting divorced because we just could not figure out how to navigate this thing. And we realized after about a decade or so, that we had been trying to answer this question that we think is central to what most couples are dealing with, which is how can we be equals and in love? And the way we wanted to answer that question initially was through this very clunky and yet somewhat virtuous technology of fairness. You know, we just sort of thought, well, if we can make everything perfectly fair, then all of a sudden we're going to somehow ascend to this land of marital bliss and, and we'll be happy. Yeah. And where we really started was against the backdrop of societal norms, that if I looked for models, for instance, with my grandparents, they had very clear, very gendered norms. He would go to work and she would take care of the home. And as we were looking at our relationship, we knew we didn't want that. We knew that that wasn't equal in a way that fit for us. Now, there are some people who do that with tons of intentionality and that worked beautifully for them. Mm -hmm. It was that for us, we said, we want something different. Like we want this to be more fair. And we we both went to Stanford and we both, you know, have accomplished things. And we wanted to make sure that we both got a chance to really spread our wings and fly in the world. So we're like, okay, we'll make it fair. Yeah. 
And which you know, so goes with your one nine dynamic. It does, it does, right? And you know, especially from inside my one, like the principle is fairness. And right. you know, from Nate's perspective, this idea of like to have harmony, it needs to be fair and it needs to be equal. Mm-hmm. And then we really got caught because we ended up in this pattern of scorekeeping. Mm-hmm. But to your point, Krista, it wasn't just the one nine mm-hmm. that then we decided when we were looking at our own relationship and where we almost lost it and we added a daughter to the mix. And that was when things really fell apart that layering on, okay, how do we make sure that it's perfectly fair? How much we work, how much we contribute to the house, how much social engagement we have, how much free time we have add a kiddo to the mix. And it's impossible. Mm-hmm. You know, how, how many times do you need to vacuum to make up for a 2am trip to the kid's room because right. they're up in the middle of the night? You can't make it work. And so we decided there had to be a different way. And we went out and interviewed about a hundred people, almost Nate likes to call it being marriage anthropologists to understand, was it just us? Was it just a one nine thing? Was it that we were making mistakes? Was it our history? And we recognized it really wasn't that everybody was really struggling with this idea of fighting for an illusion. Mm. Because fairness is sort of like a mirage in the desert. It doesn't surely exist. Yeah. Oh, wow. That must have just hit you guys between the eyes as you were doing these qualitative interviews and seeing the stories emerge that there, oh, I just love that. How you say in your book that you really can't judge each other. And I mean, whether, and I, it isn't just the one nine, but I do believe from research that we're learning that there's way more body types out there. So I do feel that all or most people are struggling with this. And this is why I said, gosh, their book is important for everybody because you guys are really bringing to light something that I hear regularly. Uh, you know, this didn't happen in the marriage and I feel that it should have been 50, 50. And you guys came to this realization that's not going to work. Yeah, and there's a, a really interesting psychological insight that explains why that's the case, mm-hmm. which is basically that all of us, regardless of Enneagram type, mm-hmm. have these cognitive biases that we bring into our assessments of fairness. Yes. And so, you know, it, it sort of happens on two levels in marriage. On one level, there's what psychologists call availability bias, mm-hmm. which is basically just a fancy way of saying that, you know, when it comes to all the things I do in our marriage and in our life, all of that information is available to me. You know, all the trips to the store and taking our daughter to camp and the wonderful, you know, dishwashing, you know, that I did last night or whatever it is, right? Um, that's all available to me. But when it comes to Kaylee, most of that information is not available. I see her doing certain things, mm-hmm. but as a result, I tend to systematically underestimate what she does. And then on top of that, there's an overestimation bias where when it comes to how much we have put in, how much we've contributed, we have this tendency to overestimate the amount of time spent, especially with childcare and domestic work, right? So I say I spent an hour on the dishes. It was probably more like 30 minutes. Right. So I'm, I'm now systematically overestimating what I'm doing. I'm systematically underestimating what Kaylee's doing. And that was really one of the big insights that led us to write this book because we thought, okay, if that's the condition of modern marriage where we're having fights based on pure delusion and bad data, yeah, you know, where we have no idea what's fair, actually, right. we really right. don't like we, there's no way to solve that problem. Mm-hmm. That led us to think there's gotta be another better way to do this. Mm. Yeah. And I think our listeners are on the edge of their seats for <laughs> what to do now that we've set up the problem and you guys have set it up so well. And they've heard us say on the show before that, you know, um, we just can never judge another person fully. And so we're just reminding everybody of that right now. Even if you do have that instinctual type to say, I know I feel it in my gut, or maybe I'm a thinker and I've calculated it or in my heart, because that's my triad. I'm super aware that I give more. We're just reminding you that we all have this bias and that it's really not going to be the solution to find your way back together this way, or to find our way, like we said to that, way of shaping the world in a more beautiful way versus bringing our suffering to the world. Because that's frankly what happens when we don't work out and we're not faulting anybody for having a necessary divorce, but we're just reminding the ones listening that want to pursue marriage and relationships that there is a way to do this where you are 
helping people and helping one another. So tell us more about some of the principles of the 80-80 marriage that our listeners can hang on to. Yeah. So in contrast to 50-50, where we think about it a bit like a tug of war, like there's some spot that's exactly fair and you're always fighting with each other to make sure that you land exactly there. With 80-80, the idea is to intentionally overshoot, to intentionally contribute more, to give more, to reveal more. And the idea is because we can't actually know, the probability that we make it all the way to 80 is very unlikely. Yeah. But even just in the aspiration, that's where it works. Now, the idea of 80-80, the math also doesn't work, which we also think is kind of fun because yeah. Yeah, who wants a marriage based on math? Um, exactly. Maybe there's a five out there, but, yeah. <laughs> but there's something incredibly powerful about my mindset being that of how can I be radically generous? How can I contribute at 80%? How can I appreciate at 80%? How can I reveal as we were talking about before at 80%? And what that allows that foundational mindset of striving to give allows us to then set up a structure where from a mindset of generosity, we call it radical generosity. Love that. Mindset of radical generosity, we can actually create a structure that supports us. Now, in some ways, you can probably hear my my one that I love structure, but there's something incredibly powerful around if we know our values, then we can define our priorities. And with our values and our priorities aligned, we can really allocate our roles in a balanced way. Mm-hmm. And we're careful not to say to make our roles fair because that's kind of made up, but to say, what are you good at that you also yes. enjoy? What are you good at that you enjoy? And how can we allocate responsibilities in a way that's aligned with our gifts that feels balanced where it actually creates more energy in our relationship? Mm-hmm. And that allows all kinds of beautiful experiences. Oh, I love that. And I really hope everyone's hanging on to that piece of trying to discover what it is that doesn't bother you at all. That might really bother your spouse and be dragging you guys down because another piece I loved in your book was the element of teamship and the way that you talked about how, when one of us rises up, the other gets to celebrate with them. And that's something that's carried our marriage far. We have always enjoyed celebrating the small things. I remember the other day, my husband said, we need to celebrate that. And it was too small for me. And I'm like, no, that's okay. You know, but it's like, just finding those moments. Do you guys do that? And can you tell us more about how we can do that? Yeah, absolutely. And I think you're pointing to something really important, which is we live in a culture that celebrates individual excellence. And Mm -hmm. when we were growing up and we were going to college and things like that, we heard a lot about like, be the best you can be, achieve Mm -hmm. your potential, et cetera. And it was always pitched at this kind of like individual level. And so when we got married you know, we've gone from a lifetime of individualism being indoctrinated into this idea of success for me mm-hmm. to now this model that's all about we and us mm-hmm. and working as a team together. And for us, we weren't able to make that transition that it very much was for many years about my career versus your career, mm-hmm. my decisions versus your, my happiness versus your mm-hmm. happiness. And the mindset was basically about, you know, when I win, you lose. When you win, I lose. And, and that, I think, you know, so many couples fall into that. Mm-hmm. And so the reframing of becoming a team for us, actually, we took a step back and we thought, what if we were like a startup company, the two of us? Mm-hmm. Would we be thinking like, oh, we all have to do everything equally. Like we all have to code the program. We all have to be on the sales calls. Mm-hmm. We all have to be, you know, running the business. No, we would say like, how do we divide this up in the best way for yeah. the overall venture that we've created? Yeah. And, you know, I, I always hesitate to compare marriage to a business, but in a lot of ways, <laughs> no, it, it, the same it, things. It's very complicated logistically. Yeah. And you can win if you think about it as a team. And so that's where mm-hmm. we started totally changing the way we thought about mm-hmm. our life together. And it wasn't about we have to make the same amount of money. We have to work the same number of hours, do the same number of business trips. All of a sudden it was like, how do we win? Does that involve you working more? 
Yeah. It, in some cases it did. And I actually cut down my time at work. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and we were making these decisions that made no sense from that first paradigm. Right. But the team thing was huge. It's huge. It's funny. Just earlier this week, I was talking to a newlywed couple uh-huh. and there was this conversation where she was like, Kaylee, I have been trained my whole life to like, I can do anything. And the conversation was whether they wanted to move to New York and they have been based in the Bay area. She was like, I feel like I'm giving in. That's not fair. And I asked, I was like, is this your person? Are you a team? She's like, yeah. And I was like, well, what's best for your team? And that totally changed the way that they thought about this. Cause what was best for her was to stay in San Francisco professionally. What was best for him was to go. But when they thought about it as a team, all of a sudden it changed the paradigm through which they could assess their options. Oh, I love that. And I love that you're even adding, and you talked about your daughter earlier and in the book, and you have a ship name you've created for you guys as a family, because it's about the team. Tell us your ship name. Yeah. Our ship name is Kajona. So it's the first two letters of our name. So it's K-A from Kaylee, N-A from Nate, Joe from our daughter. So Kajona. And as cheesy as it sounds, Krista, it has transformed our conversations that when we catch ourselves in these debates of, well, should we you know, do this activity or should we take this opportunity or should we stay at home this weekend instead of it being a fight between us, we'll pause and go, well, what would be best for Kajona? I love that. And there again is that pause of we don't just run in with instincts on this would be better for me, even though societally we may come from that point of view, or we may take that patriarchal historical view on when we had to in the hunter and gathering days, do a bit more of that. And we're able to say, no, right now we're in this place where our ancestors' ceilings were our floors. It's not easy. We have similar challenges because as you mentioned in the book, we're negatively wired to see problems around us. Mm -hmm. So there are elements still, but what you're really getting at is we care about the system. We care about this group a lot and the world a lot. And if this doesn't benefit all of us, we're not doing it. And I think that is huge. Yes. Yes. Well, and it, it, allows for a solution to these problems that are otherwise intractable. I mean, the mm-hmm. question of whether we stay in the Bay Area or move to New York, mm-hmm. when one person wants to stay in the Bay Area and one person starts wants to stay in New York, that's an intractable problem, unless you shift the way you think about it to be about the team. And, and I think we've seen this over and over again. We just had a conversation like this last week where we had this idea that was kind of a cool idea for the 8080 marriage, yeah. but we took a step back and we're like, is this actually best for Kajona? Mm-hmm. And we could both see instantly, no. And then it was just so easy. Oh, okay. Well, we're not going to do it then. And it inspired really different creative thinking that at least for us, that didn't end in a, well then no. And throw that idea in the garbage. It was, well, what else could be possible? Which again, I think if you get into that space where it's either or, there isn't room for creativity. There isn't room for innovation or a third way or a fourth way. Right. And you guys have given people here this wonderful way they can think creatively in their lives. I also know we're going to give a few tips to our listeners, but before we do, I just want to commend you on the 80-80 principle in this way that you're leaving people margin to not be perfect, which I think is very important that giving 100% feels like a lack of margin for somebody like me who spends a lot of time in the five zone. And it also really helps me to see grace more clearly. Uh, and, and also I think all of us that are listeners and I know just podcast listeners in general, and you guys and me, we want to achieve, we want to do well, even if we're not threes, even though Nate is a three-ish nine and he's in that healthy arrow work element we want to do well. So it gives us that sense of radical generosity. So thank you for giving us margin. And then lastly, about the 8080, what I love about it is that it gives us a chance to allow self-care into our lives and not to be codependent on one another as spouses, which is very important to me. So thank you for that. Thank oh, well, you. thank you for reading the book so carefully. And you're exactly right. That is one of the questions we get a lot. Why not a hundred, a hundred? And the reason is that Yes, for most of us, we have this habitual tendency to fall into fairness and 50-50 mindset thinking, Mm -hmm. but you can overdo the remedy that we're proposing here of radical generosity by Mm -hmm. just giving all of yourself to the point where you have no sense of purpose. And that's why, you know, we we went with this conception Mm -hmm. of the 80-80 marriage. 
Mm. Wow. Listening with heavy ears. I hope our sexual instinct people are because, okay. I said mm. that like Yoda, <laughs> but you know, <laughs> <laughs> I, like I like it. I like it okay. too. Star Wars fans. Okay. So, but tell us a little bit about what our listeners can do. And I hope they're already knowing the very first thing is to get the book because there's so many incredible tools inside of the book that help you to do this specifically, but tell our listeners something you might recommend for them to start with. Well, I love the idea of start with the book. It gives you so much foundation for everything that we're about to say from the first section about mindset, Mm -hmm. really the, the first piece is one radical act of contribution a day. And this is where knowing your partner's Enneagram type, knowing their instinctive variant lets you tailor how you give to them in a way that they'll actually receive. Now, contribution could be incredible, like an hour long massage or, you know, a seven course dinner, but that's not actually what we're talking about. What we mean is something small every day that you know your partner would appreciate. Mm. Turn on the coffee maker. Leave them a sticky note that says, I love you. Um, Pick up their shoes and put them in the bin instead of hiding them, which I may or may not have done at the beginning of our marriage for folks who've read the book. (laughs) Something small. And then on the reciprocal side is shift your glasses so that you see your partner through the lens of appreciation. Mm -hmm. And one of the things we talked about a little bit before is that, you know, historically we've been wired to see what's wrong. We've been wired to see the negative. And so we have to be really intentional about seeing all the ways our partners are awesome. Mm -hmm. And when I make that intention every day to catch something that Nate has done that I find amazing, that contribution, appreciation, call and response, reciprocity creates such a virtuous cycle between us. Wow. And one thing I would just add, my background before this book is in mindfulness, and that's a big part of what I do. There's a a mindfulness overlay here that I think is really powerful, which is to really see if you can pay attention to those moments where you're getting caught in this trap of 50-50 fairness. Um, because as I said before, this is almost like the default state of mind. You know, we wrote this book, we've been actively promoting this book and yet still every single day I catch myself falling into this. Oh, this isn't fair. Mm. Kaylee was in San Francisco all day yesterday and I did everything and I did all the camp pickups and that's not fair. Right. So, so that's not a problem because that's just the way the mind is wired and these habits are very strong. But if you can bring mindfulness to that, and especially when you're feeling triggered mm-hmm. to just really pay attention and notice, oh, I'm getting caught in that 50-50 thing mm-hmm. and just offer yourself a little mental reminder. You know, we like to think 80-80, something like that. That's just, it's like turning these moments of fairness battle into an inner alarm clock that reminds you to wake mm-hmm. up and to make that shift. And you might not always make it, but mm-hmm. just seeing it cultivating that kind of awareness is mm-hmm. where you all of a sudden have a choice. You have freedom. You're not just mm-hmm. operating, you know, on the basis of these habits that are, that are wired into your psyche. Yes. What a great reminder. And we are getting such a double gift here, guys, because Nate is being humble and he has a bestseller on mindfulness. <laughs> so this is a specialty plus, oh my word. Thank you guys for reminding us in marriage. This changes the marriage culture and the family culture. As our kids get older, I can only just tell you the crestfallen looks you get from kids who are disappointed to see the cycles not going in that direction where they're like, ah, you know, you guys complain about each other or or I don't see you honoring one another. And when they do the way, and I know that some of them are idealists in this way, but you want your family to see you thriving. You want them to see you giving each other courage and generosity. And I love when my daughters will say, mom, you're so loving versus, oh, my mom's bitter. So I think it really allows us to build a healthy culture as we move down as well. So thank you. That's an amazing tip. I would build on what you're saying, Krista. I love that you're talking about the family. Mm -hmm. One of the things that we have grown to really love in our family is the sticky note. And you could do it any way you want, but I'm just pulling, we're sitting at Nate's computer and we got in the habit of leaving each other sticky notes. And sometimes they're short. They just say, I love you. Sometimes they're encouragement. Hey, I know you have a podcast today. Wishing you luck. And our daughter started noticing and she was like, oh, I can get on board with sticky notes. And so she'll send us sticky notes that just say, you know, you're the best or I love you. And to your point, wow. there's, there's a contagiousness in family where your kids, one, 
often want to see and celebrate the love between their parents and they want to be included in it. And so having that culture of appreciation, having that culture of mindfulness of space can be something that is begun in the marriage and expanded through the family. And that I think you'll see the social here too, that expands throughout the entire community mm-hmm. that I can certainly feel it when a couple in our friend group is struggling or a family in our friend group is struggling. And there's something heart wounding in that experience. Yes. And when a couple is thriving and a family is thriving, there's an attraction where, gosh, I want, I want to be engaged with that. How can we have some of that too? That it, it is a gift on multiple levels simultaneously. Yes, because those suffering in our community, we suffer with them. And when they rejoice, we rejoice. So I love hearing you guys spread this out to you guys, to kids and the community. That is really cool. But anything else you think would be helpful to hear? Well, maybe you might touch on the reluctant partner. Oh, yeah. So earlier in the episode, Krista, you were talking about folks who might be married to somebody who's hesitant about the Enneagram. Mm -hmm. And there are often people who are listening to a podcast who will say, I am in, I'm really excited about 8080. I'm on board for radical generosity and shared success and teaming. And they bring up the idea with their partner who is kind of lackluster about it. (laughs) You do you, babe. And We dedicated an entire chapter of the book to the idea of a reluctant partner. Mm -hmm. And how do you engage with someone who isn't as excited about or enthusiastic about embracing these ideas, whether understanding your gut centeredness, whether understanding, you know, the motivation of your Enneagram type or understanding 8080 and how to create that radically generous marriage. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that we talk a lot about is beginning with yourself that in your relationship, if you lead by your own radical generosity, Mm -hmm. self-care to your partner in your family, Mm -hmm. it's much more likely that they'll get curious versus any version of scolding or shaming. You really should, maybe that's also my one, but you really should read this book or really you should be radically generous (laughs) or holding resentment around you're not doing your part Mm -hmm. that sometimes creating the invitation, hey, there's an exercise in this book about our priorities. Would you do that with me? Creates a friendly way into the conversation. And once they get started, they're more interested. And we just want to say, if you're stuck in this area, there's a whole chapter with ideas and tips and some exercises around how you can engage with yourself and your partner in a way that might be more approachable. That's really cool. I also liked how you guys added in uh, elements where you give people choices on how they can think and examine different. It's almost like a choose your own adventure at the end of the book. And I appreciated that because I always like to peek ahead and I'm like, well, if I do this, so, so listen guys, because they have several good ideas. And even if you want to just start out just yourself, I think that was probably one of the other most inviting things to me because my husband's not in the field with me and he works really hard on our marriage, but he isn't as interested in studying marriage as I am. So I have to be very careful with his heavy job as a one he's medical after seeing patients all day. But then when I start living it out, as I have been doing already with your book more, he's being so blessed by it that he's interested and invested and he wants to do it. And he can hear about the book on a a professional level. Oh, that's fun that you're doing that interview today. But there's a blessing that comes when we do our own work that I think I'm always teaching my couples. And I know you guys are teaching couples. So I'm so honored to have you guys today. I want to ask you guys where our listeners can find you and your book. Yeah. So the best place is probably our website, 8080marriage. So 8080marriage.com. And on our website, we have information about the book. There's also some free guides. We have an epic date night guide there. We have a weekly newsletter where actually tomorrow we're talking about mindfulness and marriage. And then also Instagram, 8080marriage again, 8080marriage on Instagram. We have a number of little like daily challenges and ideas and you know, ways to just kind of keep this going in the midst of everyday life. Um, But you can also just buy the book anywhere. If you just want to go to Barnes and Noble or Amazon, it's there. 
Oh my gosh. Thank you guys. That's amazing. And I'm just so encouraged to know you're out there doing this huge work now global and being chosen by New York times as a favorite. So this is phenomenal. Thanks for sharing it in the world all over and here too, in our Enneagram corner of the world. Yeah. I love it. Well, thank you so much for having us. It's so fun to have a conversation about the Enneagram and 8080. These are two of our big passions in life. Bringing them together. Yes, it's awesome. Merging of the worlds. Okay, well, thank you guys. Thanks, Krista. Thank you so much. Wow, guys, mind blown. Love the big energy of the one-nine pairing. Love that when it's focused, it's almost limitless. Love that they shared so logically and clearly just as any body types can do when they're at their best. And I'm so grateful that we all got a chance to try out the radical generosity by just talking and thinking. I know you were probably doing that while you were listening. And I hope you'll share some insights about what you're learning as you try this out this week. I know I was able to try it out this week as I was reading their book and it was fun for me to try to outgive my husband when one day our tire got a nail in it and he said, Krista, I forgot to take the car to do that. And I was at first a little OCD with it. Like, wait a second, I emailed you as well as texted, as well as secondarily texted a reminder to look at the text above. And he just missed it. And he's literally treating COVID patients. And I just had to pause there and give radical generosity and say, you know what? I think I could work my schedule easier than you to go bring the car in. And then later that day, I said, said, do I need to be done by six? And I was already done with my clients. And I was, of course, busy as ever. But I knew that it would probably mean a lot to him if I showed him some radical generosity there and said, hey, Wes, I said, you know what? I think I could do it even if you need me to go pick up the car. And he was so grateful, but he didn't. And it just seemed like it caused him to take that extra step toward me and go and get it. And it was fun. It was really fun. So I can't wait to continue to try out Radical Generosity Principles with Wes and even with him unknowing sometimes. But now I've had a chance to update him on the book too. So he'll probably see it in action. So whether you're doing it together, whether you're doing this on your own, I hope you have a wonderful time trying to be mindful about these ways that you can continue to just share that beautiful glow in the world as you guys truly lift others up with the love that you've shared with each other and your kids. And it's just moving in all different directions now that you're bringing it back to life. So thanks for blowing that spark of life back into your marriages as you try it. And I hope you have a tremendous week. In the meantime, don't forget to grab 8080 Marriage off of Amazon.com. And I can't wait to talk to you guys again next week.